Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we discuss today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Tony Uphoff, CEO of Thomas, which is a former media company that's now got into the data platform business in the industrial markets and is gathering data insights and a lot of great perspectives on what's happening there. Tony's a regular visitor here on Cloud Wars Live as part of our digital all-stars where Uphoff on industry helps us take a look at what's going on in the industrial sectors and the manufacturing world where technology is meeting uh, these traditional industries. Tony, thanks for being with us. Look forward to another lively conversation today. Hey, thanks, Bob. Always great to be on the show. Thanks. So, Tony, we had shared some ideas beforehand. I really like a couple of the things you, you brought up today. So tell us about you know, uh, that one of the subjects, AI, I've certainly got that you can talk about in the uh, friend or foe context, but what about this other piece that you wanted to talk about? That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it, you know, a, a couple of things, Bob. So we're, we're monitoring very carefully a trend that, that is context aware technology. And um, it's a fascinating trend and, and many of your listeners might be able to relate to this from a previous cycle in technology. And that cycle of technology was when distributed computing started to happen, you know, where, you know, smaller computers would communicate with a larger computer. Over time, we started to figure out how much intelligence you wanted down on the node, the individual client facing use of that machine, and how much you wanted on a centralized or master uh, computer of some sort. Listeners can easily, you know, uh, think of this as, you know, cloud computing between what might be on your iPhone and what might actually be on the cloud. How do you figure out what intelligence you need at the unit you're holding in your hand versus things that you would have to access the cloud for? And what's happening in the industrial markets is <clears throat> as increasingly contextually aware technology. This could be sensors and other forms of digital technology that are, that are embedded inside of a traditional industrial product or service is rather than to have to make a call, right, through, um, you know, IOT into a centralized computer, it could be a series of relatively simple behaviors based on the context. Simple example, the temperature goes above a certain level. The sensor is able to take an action at that level without having the latency of having to go all the way through the system and then back. Right, seems kind of simple, but it's a great example of that. Um, the sensor could adapt to time of day. The sensor could adapt to uh, environment, you know, other environmental factors. And so we're seeing more and more interest around this context-aware technology, and the opportunities for this are really remarkable in the industrial marketplaces. So you start to think about, um, you know, what happens in a warehouse. Seems seems kind of simple. But inside of a warehouse, you've got all kinds of different things that are happening. You could have sensors that understand how a warehouse worker, how many hours that worker's been on the job, um, what time of day it is, uh, various things that might indicate the need to either slow a process or stop a process or to alert based on a process. Um, there's a lot of experimentation around this with people that are uh, working in um, risk sensitive areas, long haul truck driver be a great example of this, where there's increasingly contextually aware technology that is helping the driver understand how to regulate and manage. An obvious one would be how many miles or how long between stops or how long between a driver's taking a rest. 
But now this technology is, is, is enabling all kinds of different benefits to not only the driver, but perhaps the operator and owner of a, of a truck or somebody on the receiving end of a shipment. Yeah. So, Tony, are these being driven by any particular uh, technology companies or are, is this just a trend that companies among, you know, on their own right are developing internally? I, I think probably a combination of both. What, what we're seeing is a lot of companies that are, um, I was going to use the term swarming the IoT marketplace. And so some people are putting this under the rubric of these are classic IoT applications, right? It, if you wire everything up and you can connect anything to the internet today, as you start to think of the implications in the industrial market for that, then the decision is, hey, maybe there's simple technology we could push down so a binary decision could be made at the point of contact with the technology versus having the latency of it going all the way through the system. So I think there's, there's some of that. I think you're also seeing industrial companies are being innovators in these areas where they're understanding the processes that they're trying to get accomplished. Um, they understand um, environmental issues like heat or weather or other things that might be really important. Imagine uh, an automated process on a factory floor. Many factory floors today are running multiple shifts through the magic of technology that are very low in terms of the need for lots of people. But what's really critical is if there's not uh, complete supervision of that, if there's any sort of a problem, something overheats or something happens, what you want is that system to be able to shut itself down safely without having to alert somebody who might not be nearby that machine. And you, know, you could lose an entire batch of you know, manufactured products or services that were coming out of that machine. And so I think the IoT companies are innovating. I think you got a lot of industrial companies that are innovating with, with this. I don't know of any singular, and there may be, but I don't know of any singular quote unquote tech company yeah. that has become a leader in this. A lot of other people are just putting this also under the rubric of industry 4.0, right? This, this, this amazing intersection that we're seeing or convergence between a lot of these um, uh, digital uh, products and services and then enabling infrastructure like cloud computing and IoT and other things that are enabling these types of applications. Yeah, and so, Tony, I know you touched on some of them, but if you could just sort of, you know, run down the list. So the advantages are everything from safety to productivity and um, acceleration of processes, right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, one that pops to mind is efficiency. And I don't mean efficiency is in ruthless. You don't need people. I just mean putting value into a system uh, without having to have a, a, a tremendous number of people that could be providing value elsewhere, right? If, if you know, a simple example, you know, would be your phone, you know, you can set an alarm on your phone that resides on your phone. It doesn't need to call a sophisticated server or anything else on that. And it's something that's a real simple technology and it's embedded in your phone. You can deal with that. Those are the types of things. That's an efficiency play. You don't have to call up and call an answering service anymore. You don't, when you check into a hotel, you don't have to call down and say, can you please call me at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning? And they used to have banks of operators that did this. So the efficiency of being able to have um, uh, systems and technology that can, that can handle relatively simple tasks. That's really what we're talking about, but what is a relatively simple task in this context seems pretty advanced, right? Yeah. Because you're talking about it, it controlling some fairly sophisticated, perhaps uh, factory automation or robotic system or, or something uh, you know, like that. We're also seeing um, 
efficiency from another angle. We're seeing a lot of what people are referring to as man plus machine. So if you think about most technology, it really is the idea that it doesn't really replace, replace human beings. What it does is augment what human beings can do. And so over time, we learn new job skills and we adapt to these technologies. I think a lot of these types of contextual technologies will be used in those areas, right? Areas, as I noted before, where there might be risk to the a number of hours or, or perhaps uh, the physical health of somebody that's, that's administrating one of these machines or um, an environmental you know, situation where heat may play a role or there could be some temperature gauge that you need to monitor. And if you're not able to, to look at it, the temperature could get out of control and ruin a batch or perhaps you know, be, be an unsafe area. Those types of technologies where man plus machine, you can automate some of those features in context with the operator of the technology itself or the operator of the machine. And so I think you're gonna see a, a, a whole host of applications like that. The other aspect about it is, <clears throat> you know, and you and I've talked about this from another angle, the acceleration of learning, right? You know, the, the amount of time it takes to to understand a workflow process and then be able to adapt it. If we put more intelligence in these contextual devices at the point of contact of the application, those devices are gonna allow us to become more intelligent faster mm -hmm. so that we can understand and iterate on that. And that data that flows from that is just gonna give us insights in real time and just allow us to improve efficiencies, improve safety, um, perhaps share that data with, with uh, either product design folks or industrial engineers, who knows where that data might have applicability. And so that idea of a bit, bit hackneyed, but that learning organization, well, to do that today, you really need real-time data. You can't wait and then sit down every 90 days and hey, let's look at the factory stats on yeah. how much uptime was or how many injuries did we you know, avoid. If you're able to see that in real time, it's going to just open up a, a huge amount of incremental learning. Yeah, Tony, I, I don't think that's sort of hackneyed at all. The you know all these different surveys you see today of companies not struggling, but really uh, trying to find the right ways to create those great employee experience to have the employees feel more engaged, more in touch with things. And it sounds like that sort of man plus machine loop that you're describing, the uh, individual employees are able then to have more of a sense of what's going on. They can make smarter, better decisions. They can put feedback in, get insights out of it. And it seems like that'll be powerful. I also just wanted to note something when you mentioned, uh, you know, that, that thing that seems like from another century, but of your, you're at a hotel and you have to call down to the front desk to get a wake up call. And I think the first, the interim step on the part of the hotels, right? If using technology to solve this was to put, uh, uh, clock radios in everybody's room. They start out pretty basic. And as these things got fancier and fancier, right, you'd have to go through a two hour uh, tutorial to learn how to set the alarm on the blankety blank thing, which I remember. And it's a classic technology issue, right? They shovel the technology, make the user work around the complexity. But eventually this stuff gets buried, it gets hidden, and you just get the benefit of it. But in, in the early days, it can be a little hanky. Well, and to your point, you know, invariably, I'm the one that stays in that hotel room after some joker set it up at 2.30 in the morning and it goes off and I don't know how to shut it off in the middle of the night, you know. But it is amazing if you think about, there's a good example of, of contextually aware technology. So um, how many things do we take for granted, you know, that 
you know, we should, every room we walk into in a, in a hotel today should be able to adjust for light, should be able to adjust for temperature, should be able to adjust for things that don't require the person in the room to figure out how to use a thermostat for that particular type of room or to have to adjust things. You know, the same thing with water temperature, the same thing for so many different things. The technologies are available today, but it does require increasingly pushing down right at the point of contact. And there's a whole tremendous amount of innovation happening now with companies that are, that are manufacturing smart devices, particularly for, uh, for use in, in the hotel industry where you know, your, your, uh, your preferences could be preset and you can walk into a hotel and let's say you enjoyed a hotel room that was at a particular temperature that was different than the way I would walk in, you know, no different than you, know, you have preset types of rooms that you want if you're a frequent tra traveler. Well, having those preferences set makes a lot of sense, right? If you use Uber, what you're finding in Uber today, there's a preference screen that comes up. You can fill out your preferences. So when the driver picks you up, the driver has a set of preferences on, you know, air temperature, on music, uh, whatever the heck that it might be, right? Well, as, as we get better and better at the use of this technology, why wouldn't that be representative of everywhere we go? You know, I'm a Marriott, uh, you know, elite, uh, you know, members, I'm sure you are too. They know more about me than most places, but every time I check in, I still have to explain, here's, you know, can, can you do this? Can you do that? You know, having that profile and then the technology when you walk into the room, that it can read it from your phone or identify based on the key fob that they give you, that technology is available today. And I think you'll see more and more application of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the smarter things, smarter people, smarter experiences, you know, better experiences for everybody. So, Tony, it seems like today we got three things that you wanted to talk about so that this context aware, and then really the engine behind that in some ways is to some extent or another AI or machine learning. And you have some thoughts about, you know, this really coming to the forefront in the industrial world about AI. So how do you, how do you see that? Is it a, a friend or foe dichotomy now, or is, is it emerging pretty clearly with the benefits? Boy, boy, I think that's such a great conversation today, Bob. I, I really do, because I, I think it's both. I think it's, you know, uh, you know, what's the old joke about emerging economies? You know, I, I heard somebody the other day refer to China as an emerging economy. And I said, hey, I think they've emerged. <laughs> you know, um, these emerging technologies, artificial intelligence and machine learning have emerged. They, they've actually been around for a, a long time, depending on how broadly you want to define artificial intelligence. But I think what's starting to happen now is we're starting to see levels of scale and speed to artificial intelligence. But we're also starting to see applications that perhaps we hadn't thought of before. And I think that's really, really uh, exciting in many cases. But I also think at the same time, it can be intimidating to a lot of people. And so I think in, in the, the pro and con side of this, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure people in our industry understand the power of, of new technology and how to harness that new technology. And artificial intelligence, I think, has become a little bit of a polarizing issue to a lot of people because they see this as something that potentially could be out of control or dangerous. Um, in some cases, people believe it's taking jobs away. If you go back through history, and I put artificial intelligence in a similar continuum, there aren't really uh, too many examples of technology literally putting you know, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people out of business. It changes jobs. And it does mean 
that with advanced technology, you are gonna see the need to change the way that particular job function works. We've seen it in finance. We've certainly seen it in transportation. We've seen it in so many other industries as technology becomes the centerpiece to how that product or service is produced. And that's been happening in the manufacturing area for 50 years now. US companies have, have, a, have a adapted that. I think where artificial intelligence is, is starting to, to raise its head is in areas where we can start to take data and learn faster. So we can take data on um, you know, how different products age, how different products last, how different products interact with other products, and that artificial intelligence can spot that pattern really quickly. Here's a real simple example of that. If you had the right technology inside of a, uh, let's say it was a building here in New York, we're looking over Hudson Yards. This is one of the largest commercial real estate projects ever built. Well, as those buildings are being designed today, they're using building information modeling so that all the components, the valves, all the different components are modeled out before the building is actually built including the part numbers and who those were actually ordered from. Well, nowadays, those sensors are hooked up in such a way that that, that uh, device can send a signal, right, before it completely fails that it's aging. And it'll show exactly where it is so somebody can go in and replace that. They can even order it from the exact same vendor they, that uh, they used to, uh, or uh, used initially to be able to find it. But also through artificial intelligence, they can start to spot that pattern and understand how that they could have perhaps a design flaw, or perhaps even you could put 3D printing in proximity to the application of that. So artificial intelligence sees that and actually starts to print the part in proximity where the part could be deployed, right? And that's a good example of, you know, you don't need a human being to do that anymore. You need a human being to administrate that and enable it. But you know, the old days of ripping the wall out to see if we've got a leak or a problem, those days are gone and artificial intelligence can help us identify those, but also then the learning from that to the next generation of, let's say it a, it's a valve or whatever that part might be, artificial intelligence can help us find potentially the next generation design of that that will be more efficient, that will last longer, that won't fail in the same way. So, Tony, you've mentioned learning as a critical point, both in this theme here about AI, but also in the earlier one with context-aware technology. So, uh, clearly, it's top of mind for you. What, what's going on in this world of learning now in the industrial space? And uh, is it a matter of companies just need to do things better, faster, smarter, all of those? I, I think it's the last one. I, I really think it's smarter. I mean, certainly you know, better, faster, right, you know, cheaper, potentially, you know, always play because technology starts to accelerate innovation. But if you really study companies that understood how to harness the power of technology, particularly the data that comes out of the use of technology, what it allowed them to do was to get smarter. You know, this is man plus machine, right? I don't, I don't bother to count on my fingers anymore. I, Use an adding machine if I need to, or you know, better yet, a spreadsheet to be able to do that kind of stuff. So what's happening is I can learn faster. I can move quicker. And I think that's what's happening a lot with the machine learning and artificial intelligence is I can apply those technologies to spot patterns far faster, um, potentially to move around cognitive bias. 
like all business people, right? We're products of our environment. And I can be absolutely convinced of my point of view because I've been doing this for a long time and I have a really entrenched perspective and I'm an expert in my marketplace, perhaps until I look at contrary data. Yeah. And I might look at contrary data and go, whoa, wait a second, something different is happening here. I, I, I hearken back to the, the famous book that many of us responded well to of the black swan. And it, it, it fundamentally was around this idea of, you know, not being able to challenge your cognitive bias until all of a sudden you were forced to. Yeah. And, and so I do think that um, the use of data, but particularly being able to speed that use of data up to identify patterns and then act on those patterns, and whether that's artificial intelligence and or machine learning, I, I believe that's critical today to stay relevant and to keep pace in the markets that you operate in. Yeah. Tony, could I ask, uh, could you give an estimate on how many times you've heard the phrase that democratization of data? Oh, my God. <laughs> could you even count, right? Could you, you right. know, and, and, and I think, you know, to your point, that what's fascinating about, uh, about what we're describing here, this phenomenon, right, that, that democratization of data, data is the new oil, all of the cliches, it's, it's interesting when I talk to people, and I think you probably would relate to this, I don't have too many people saying, I don't have enough data. Mm -hmm. I think what you and I are trying to define here is the tools that would enable us to see the signal in the noise of the data. Can we spot patterns? Can we see things that are actionable? And I think the, the newer technologies around artificial intelligence and machine learning can help us in that. And in some cases, we're simply we spotted the pattern and we're gonna program the algorithm to be able to go after that. But in other cases with machine learning, it can build on the incrementalism, right, of, of whatever we spotted and, and learn as it goes down the path. And I think that's critically important because again, you know, we're at three petabytes of buyer behavior data. We've got tons of data and a lot of it's in real time and it's really remarkable but where we're starting to invest a lot of time and energy and infrastructure for that matter is in identifying major signals, major transitions in that data that we believe would be beneficial for either the development of our business and or the benefit for our users and our customers. Yeah, and Tony, I, that's a great point. And I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to push on that a little was, you know, out of those two terms or those two emerging categories you talked about AI context where technology you zeroed in on this notion of learning so we sometimes I think in that the tech business or the data business get hung up on these these terms like the democratization of data you know we sort of get what the theme is but that becomes then the overwhelming point and a lot of people say I don't know what the hell that means I'm not really that interested the and the, the point that you're making is if you're able to do that, if you're able to get more data in the hands of more people and allow them to exploit it or use it or get insights from it in the right way, it actually comes down to things like learning, to safety, to a better set of productivity, the more types of customizations that are available today in every business that we're talking about. I, uh, I had a chat with uh, guys the senior vice president of global IT for Under Armour. And he said one of the most challenging issues they have today is in manufacturing and the customization. He said, hey, we can knock out the same sort of shoes as fast as anybody. But when you get, you know, millions of people saying, I want that color, I want to design my own 
color. And then I want to have my own shoelace color and this on the tread and this on the uppers. So uh, I think that uh, that genie's out of the bottle. It's never going to go back, right? So this notion of learning and understanding, being able to apply that is the future, it seems like, for this digital industrial economy that we're in. Well, and I think to a certain extent, as I listen to you talk, Bob, you can kind of almost visualize a flywheel effect, right? So when you and I were thinking about interesting topics, the idea of this context-aware technology and then some sort of a, um, a series of algorithms or, or analyses like artificial intelligence or machine learning, but then the flywheel becomes, hey, what are what are simple systems I can put down at the point of contact with that contextual technology that we don't need to think about? Yeah. Let's just build that into the system. So there doesn't have to be a lot of discussion about what does the data show? Where do you know what the data shows? It's nighttime, shut the lights off, right? So, you know, those are, are examples where I think that becomes that spectacular flywheel effect where as we identify these patterns in the data, we can then push the intelligence down to the end node of the application of that technology. It doesn't require some, you know, big deep thought of data analytics and data scientists to go through it. You know, we can, we can do that. And then I think also the data coming from that end can also influence areas that we, hey, maybe we want to see more data on this or see if there's a, a pattern there that's, a, that's emerging. The, the other thing that, that connects into this, Bob, which, which to me is, is endlessly fascinating, is you're also starting to see the phenomenon in a business like ours, what we call digital exhaust, where a lot of byproducts of, and we've talked about this on earlier episodes, a lot of byproducts of data that companies thought was useless, let's use the metaphor of sitting on the cutting room floor, they're now discovering has some application somewhere. You know what I mean? Data that we just didn't think of. We didn't really pay any attention to. It wasn't core to our business. You know, in the financial markets, they call this alternative data. Um, it's kind of fascinating, I think, as more and more companies start to harness available technology to, in very cost-effective ways, um, monitor, store, and evaluate that data, they're gonna find more and more applications in product design, user features, um, customer service, other things that maybe they hadn't even begun to think of because they've just been looking at sort of a, a relatively simple application of data. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Tony, with that, I think in the, the, the overarching theme here in some ways of learning, there's one other point we wanted to talk about a little, right, that uh, Airbus, so, right, one of the, the largest or the second largest aircraft manufacturing company in the world, they're working closely with Microsoft using the HoloLens mixed reality technology here to try to do, come back to some of those basic things, right? Uh, make more products more quickly, make them at higher quality, but also in here, you know, to come back to your point, they want to do it to facilitate training without tying up expensive equipment. Yep. So exactly what you're saying, separating in some ways the context of learning from the giant containers or environments we used to have to go through it's sort of a real-time, real-world simulation of it. Um, where do you see this headed? Well, it's interesting. So I, I you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come at this from, from what, what may seem like an obscure metaphor to use, but you're familiar with the auto racing uh, level called Formula One. It's the most elite form of auto racing. These are basically... Um, fighter jets that are on the ground with ground effects and they campaign all over the world 
road courses and the technology is really remarkable in these, these automobiles. Um, starting about a decade ago, what they found was the demographic stretch of the average driver went in both directions. So drivers, you know, well into their thirties were still very competitive, but it got younger and younger and younger and younger until they actually had a 17 year old who was competing openly for the world championship. And they had year after year for about three or four years in a row, they had people setting a new record for the youngest world champion. And what they discovered in studying this, and you know where this is gonna go, is these young people had grown up driving carts, go-karts, but they had driven these courses many times through simulation. So when they got to Monte Carlo, they had driven it many times before. It wasn't a mystery to them. They had driven it thousands upon thousands of times through simulators. So as that technology is now mainstreaming and we can apply it in so many different areas, that's a very similar dynamic. We're watching that play out in a variety of different industries. So if I wanted to train somebody to use a very expensive machine called a CNC machining for precision manufacturing, it's not for the faint of heart, right? These are multi-million dollar machines. There is some level of complexity you're running these machines. I, I'm not gonna run a lot of tests through them, right? You really wanna make sure you're dealing with that to actually virtually run one and to run how to deal with something like that is tremendously valuable. Imagine training a new warehouse employee, right? You're in the pick, pack and ship in any of the big, huge companies that you see out there. Imagine training somebody through virtual reality where they can get a sense for working in the warehouse and interacting with the various machines and physical manifestation before they actually wander on to the floor. I think the training stuff here could be absolutely spectacular, but also I'd go back to the learning from another angle. As we learn how to do that through the virtual uh, machines, and this is that perfect example of man plus machine, we're also gonna identify inefficiencies. We're gonna identify ways of um, coordinating workflow and other things through the, the simulation, if you will, that's going to identify an inefficiency of, of yeah, I mean, there's famous stories about Amazon where they've done this and they've identified um, putting certain types of products and services together in similar areas. So rather than alphabetized, it's actually organized by the way people order products and it makes it far more efficient in the way that you pick, pack and ship these products and services. Well, that was the combination of data, but they also can train a lot of the warehouse staff through the use of virtual technology and understanding how to interact with these, uh, these physical tools. Purpose-built. Exactly. Uh, Tony, I'm sorry, but you were making this very sophisticated point. One of the things that flashed through my head was doing an old-fashioned expense report on paper. Remember, they'd have a, the column width was defined by the word at the top of the column. So, you know, like reason for travel, you'd have, uh, you know, five-eighths of an inch to try to describe why you did it. But, it, you know, nobody sat down and meant to do a dumb expense report form or a complicated alphabetized, you know, way of doing these things. It's just we didn't have the tools ready. But here they're coming and, and this torrent that's coming in here. Tony, before you go, I wanted to ask you, all the companies that you and your team at Thomas get to talk to and across the different industries, is there, a, you know, you're talking about some pretty wild new stuff here. Is there a a title or a role or responsibility within the company that is sort of taking the lead and driving some of these new approaches? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So we are starting to see um, a, a C-level title around technology emerge for some of these manufacturing companies. 
So it, it could be a CTO. It, in many cases, it might be a chief operating officer. So it would be somebody that, that has a sense of perspective around the, the physical workflow and what kind of automation and robotics and, and technologies that, that are really important. Um, so you're, you're clearly seeing that. We're, we're also starting to see the beginning of people that are coming from a data background. So they may not come out of manufacturing. They may be, you know, the, I'll use the term data scientist. I, I can't say that we're seeing that title used a lot in manufacturing, but if you actually talk to these folks and what they do, they're using very sophisticated data analytics to improve workflow. And where we first started to see it, Bob, was around supply chain management, where you know, it, what we're witnessing in, in all business, but you can certainly see it very acutely in, in, uh, in manufacturing and the industrial markets, you're starting to see the convergence of the physical, the financial, and the digital supply chain, right? So as companies are trying to manage decentralized supply chains, and um, let's say big customers like a Walmart are increasingly ratcheting down on delivery times and terms and conditions, a lot of companies are realizing the answer to this is technology. Mm -hmm. The answer to understand how to manage this is through it being able to analyze their workflow and to either wring some efficiency out and or understand when they need to bring on incremental resources or, or perhaps when a particular supply chain is just flat ineffective. You know, it's just not profitable in, in your line of business. So I think we're seeing a little bit of the CTO phenomenon. I, I would say in manufacturing, it's less branded by functional title as CTO. I would say it, that's more probably chief operating officer. We're clearly seeing a rise in what you and I would think of as data analytics. I'll tell you another role that's incredibly powerful in manufacturing is the role of MRO. So MRO stands for maintenance, repair, and operations. And that is a really powerful position in a lot of manufacturing industries. So these are folks that are, as the title would, would, uh, would uh, suggest, that are responsible for the updating, the upgrading, the repair, and the fundamental operations of what's happening on a factory floor. So they're doing everything from kind of evaluating what's the next gen, CNC machine, as I used that expression or that, that term earlier, uh, through to, you know, they're looking at ERP systems that might allow them to interact with, you know, from order into manufacturing to out to the customer. We're seeing some examples where customers are setting up automatic replacement systems with their big customers. So that if, if I supply to you as a part of the supply chain, it just automatically orders as you draw the supply down. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pick up the phone or email me or even connect, and it's a permission-based model. And so we see a lot of folks are setting up those sorts of technologies and intertwined technologies, particularly around this idea of supply chain management. And we think there's going to be a ton of innovation there. Um, it, it's hard for us to tell yet, but it feels that there's probably a role or two that's, that's emerging and that's going to be before we know it, industry standard in manufacturing. Yeah. And I don't know if it's around this idea of data analytics, um, but it feels to us like more and more companies are trying to figure out how to harness the data or get access to data to make um, better decisions, you know, around their business. Yeah, I, Tony, you know, that as you were describing those remarkable changes taking place right now, I was thinking that uh, I believe that this whole, um, in the, in the technology business, these, these categories are pillars of the big applications from ERP to CRM 
to HCM. I think those are becoming acronyms, right? And they are, you know, from another era. They yeah. were from the sort of on-premise, uh, old-fashioned types of how people did stuff. And as you describe things like tie in these sorts of things with an ERP system, it just opens up the door or supply chain systems to other things, to the learning that's taking place, to the optimization, to the safety factors. And the digital world is just rendering some of those old, venerable, but I think out of date categories that we had. They, they just don't work. And one of the things that triggered that thought in my head was your point about you know these MRO people, are it's becoming a more and more important function. But if you think about what they're going to start to do by applying this intelligence that you've described in the learning, it's going to be less about maintenance and instead the prevention and, uh, you know, either replace or repair or, you know, just get those things before they break. So um, I think it's remarkable to look across the business world and see how these new changes that you've described are forcing us to change, not just the language, that's the easy part, but How's the company structured? How do we look at information? How do we set up reports? How do we look at the things that are most important and ensure that these are the sorts of tools and ideas and data that are getting into the hands of the right people, which more and more is everybody in the company. Yeah, one of the things that we were looking at recently is, is you know, the redefinition of that role, the MRO. And, and you just really beautifully articulated it, you know, in, in, a, in a conversation looking at some data we actually started to use the expression that, that the maintenance repair instead of operations may become optimization over time. And not to just sound buzzwordy here, but yeah. I, I think that's what you're describing, that idea of how am I looking at the analytics of my business and optimizing? It could be a, a new product or service. It could be, you know, a, I need a new machine or a, a, a new uh, capability. But I think it's less about the old kind of grinded out operation yeah. stuff and much more about making really intelligent decisions and, and I, you know, something you and I have talked about before, I think that shift from on-premise to cloud-based applications is starting to enable more intelligence in the software. So if you go back to where we started of, of contextual technology, um, we just changed out the financial system at, at, at this company from a, a legacy provider uh, on-premise to a, a cloud-based uh, provider. But there's so many tools as we get into this that are opened up. And you can think of this as, as uh, uh, artificial intelligence, but the ability that the system can see all the data in there and start to set up either templates or guides or recommendations, because it's just numbers. It, yeah. it, it's looking at patterns in the numbers. The old on-premise software model didn't really allow for that. And it's funny in, in the sweep of history to talk about software as old, but the, the shift here where we're putting more intelligence and now we can set up those contextually relevant technologies in the software to start to adapt to things. Business dynamics, it can see when your fiscal year is, it can set reminders, it can do all kinds of different things today. Imagine that applied to the factory floor as well, where these systems can start to recommend improvements in supply chain. Um, you know, a, a lot of companies struggle when your supply chain starts to move farther out. Let's call it decentralized supply chain. How do you figure out as you get farther and farther out, what's my real margin on this? Am I making a profit on the fourth level of my supply chain, right? Well, we've now got tools and systems that could simply make that decision for you. You may not act on it, but the intelligence is in that software now. And, and, and we have the ability to, to run our businesses based on that kind of incremental intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Tony, one, you know, uh, one of the other things that leads to here, just back to that Airbus thing for a second, um, is that uh, Airbus has announced that it has built off-the-shelf solutions for its customers so they can benefit from the company's mixed reality expertise. So you get a giant company like Airbus using it. They master that, all those different advantages and advances that you've described. Then they put those forward. And instead of it just becoming an internal capability, it becomes a new source of revenue for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, properly used, a lot of these more advanced technologies are going to create new products or new services, right? And, and you're going to find examples like that. You know, it's, it's dated to say the least, but if you go way back in the aerospace industry, the Sabre system and some real advances, you know, were developed by a singular airline, in this case, American Airlines, that became ubiquitous in the marketplace because the application transcended an individual company's use of it. This could be another example that we're watching where, you know, a company like Airbus realizes, hey, there's a whole business here. And whether they define themselves as the ultimate best owner of something like that, or they unleash the technology or license it to others, um, I, I think it's a spectacular example of, of innovation that certainly transcends a singular company's use of it. Yeah, yeah, and Tony, you're right. And uh, more and more companies these days want uh, from the, the people they're buying from, they don't just want what they're selling. They want, uh, I, I don't want what, just what you're selling. I want what you know. Yeah. I want the expertise there. So speaking of what you know, um, as always, great conversation here. How could people find out a little bit more about your company and what you have to offer? Hey, thanks, Bob. So uh, you can visit uh, www.thomasnet.com. And it is our major sourcing platform. Every two seconds, an engineer, procurement professional, or one of these MROs is sourcing a product or a supplier on thomasnet.com. And that's how we generate all the data that we oftentimes talk about on your show. And we also have a daily email newsletter that is called Thomas Industry Update. And it is a free newsletter, but it's a fantastic glimpse into the industrial economy and covers many of the subjects that you and I have touched on. As a matter of fact, Bob, as I sent to you earlier today, we have a fantastic feature today on context-aware technology. It was why it was uppermost in my mind. And that's a complimentary um, uh, email newsletter that people can subscribe to that as well. I've applied for that newsletter a couple of times. I keep getting rejected as it said, unfit character. What, what does that mean? You know, um, moral turpitude, Bob. We do have an artificial <laughs> intelligence engine. Tony, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. This has really been terrific. As always, uh, really enjoy your ideas and the perspectives into a part of the world that might be changing faster than any other any other part of this remarkable digital economy. Always fun, Bob. Thanks again. Look forward to uh, chatting next month. Very good, Tony. Thanks yeah. a lot. Up off on industry. And thanks to all of you folks for spending time with us. Share your feedback with me, Bob Evans at bobevanspa at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And we look forward to seeing you next time.